Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for tonight and the opportunity to be here together. Um, Lord, you are good, and um, we just we just want to proclaim that. And and I thank you, Father, that um, that as I think about what we're going to speak about um, tonight, that you didn't you didn't just leave us alone, but you came into our mess and you gave us a way out. And I just thank you so much for that. I thank you, uh, Father, that uh, you love us enough to to work in in the midst and among us and in us. I pray that you'll do that through your word tonight. I pray that each of us will be open to what you have for us, that you'll will we'll hear you speak personally, and that God through your word that you will that you will do what you've said you're going to do, and that you'll transform us, make us more uh, like your son. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, John chapter five. We are looking again at a story with two main characters. Uh, last week, if you'll remember, we looked at a couple of main characters. I've already been uh, reminded of what the question of last week was. What time is it? Uh, and this is going to be much the same. We'll have two main characters that we're going to look at, and ultimately one of them is Jesus. And as we've gone through this book of John, ultimately, I mean, he is the main character of the whole book. He is the he is the reason that John wrote this gospel. In fact, in John chapter 20, verse 31, John tells us explicitly why he wrote the book. Let me read it to you. I was going to quote it, and I thought, well, I better read it just to, just to make sure I get it right. But he tells us explicitly why he wrote the book, why he recorded the things that he did, and it is for this reason. But these are written, speaking about all of the things that he's recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And so in John chapter 20, verse 31, we're we're left with no doubt about what John wanted for every person that was going to ever read his gospel. He wants you to believe. He wants you to trust in the name of Christ, and by trusting in the name of Christ, find life. And so as we come to this, we were introduced by John repeatedly and shown by John things repeatedly about Jesus Christ. We're seeing, we, we see over and over, we see his, his uh, power, we see his identity, we see his mission in the world. And, and so that's who, that's who the book, the, all of the book focuses on. And he's, again, one of the stars of the show tonight. And the reality is, is that as we come to this and as we read through this book, not only do we meet Jesus, but the reality is, is that we see the world displayed in all of its trouble, in all of its, in, in, in all of the mess that it really is. John doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't paint over it. He doesn't try to hide it. The world is a mess. It really is. And God came into that mess, put on flesh, and dwelt among us. And that is an amazing story. But see, as, 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 as we see each character, just like last week, we saw in the character last week, we saw a man whose power and influence and control and his, uh, his material wealth, it, it couldn't bring him all that he wanted. And I ask you to put yourself in that place because the reality is that all of the material wealth, all the power and control that we think we might have, all of the influence, it's not going to bring us what we really need. You see, and we're brought face to face with a real world that really, if we'll strip away the illusion, if we'll take our eyes off of the, 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 the images that we love to see of ourselves and really look at the truth, 
will find that we're seeing ourselves painted on these pages as well. And that's what we're going to see tonight in a very stark way, I think, is that ultimately, as we look at the two main characters tonight, we'll see Jesus once again lifted up and exalted. We'll see a man who's an invalid, but really we'll be able to see ourselves. And that's what I want for you. And so I'm going to ask you to imagine some things tonight. I'm going to ask you to look at some things and try to picture them and try to put yourself in that place. And so that's, that's where we're headed. And, and if you'll just read through with me, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, we'll, uh, we'll get to the meat of it. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, let me just remind you the context of all of this. Jesus had left Jerusalem because the Pharisees were after him. They were upset with him. He was, his ministry was extremely successful. There was hordes of people coming to him and, 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 and listening to him, being baptized and, and becoming his follower. And the Pharisees, this was upsetting them in a big way. He was making a huge impact on Jerusalem, and this was upsetting them in a major way. And so he left Jerusalem. On his way out of Jerusalem, he stops in Samaria. He ends up in Galilee. Um, and then now we see that at some point he comes back. So he comes back into Jerusalem for a feast, probably the Passover, but we don't know for sure. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of people, or a great number of disabled people used to lie, <clears throat> the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So here we are. We have this picture, this, this, this recollection or this, this uh, recording of a miracle where Jesus helped a, a lame man, a paralyzed man, walk. And ultimately, if, if we just took it at face value and read the story, boy, that would be amazing enough. But I think that there is so much that we can see here. Um, and I just want to give you just a few things. But first, I want you to stop and I want you to think about this with me because if we just glaze over this, if we just read it and don't think about it, we're not going to gain everything we can. It's very easy for us to romanticize these passages of Scripture. It's easy for us to think of this amazing picture. Oh, Jesus came in and healed this man and it was a beautiful time and a beautiful thing happened. Absolutely, it was. A beautiful thing happened. But I want you to think about this. I mean, I would take Noah and, and the ark, for instance. We paint Noah's and arks on the wall all the time, and we have these fancy little boats with animals' heads sticking out, and they all look so happy. And, and, and the old man, the old gray-haired man, we think so highly of Noah. But the reality, if you step back and you really begin to think about what the story of Noah and the ark is all about, there's a lot of death and destruction. I mean, imagine this. Imagine the... the, the the, the day that Noah stepped into that ark and the door was sealed, imagine the difficulties that probably began to transpire. It's full of animals. Have you ever been in a house with too many animals inside of it? I'm not picking on anybody. I don't know if any of you have too many animals. But I know of some people who have way too many animals. And it's bad. 
Imagine an ark full of two of every kind of animal. If I remember right, there was only one window in the whole boat. It was made with pitch and wood. You think they were burning fires in there? There's all kinds of things. If you begin to stop and think about it, this was not the fairy tale that we like to remember it. I want you to think about the day it began to rain. Think about as the rain began to fall, and people suddenly realized as it began to come up around their ankles and their knees that something was bad was going on. Imagine as they ran for higher places, hordes of people running to higher places. You see, we've romanticized this story. Imagine what it was like as the water got to their neck. You ever been in a pool that's so deep or, or just deep enough that you could keep your nose above water? Treading water. You think it was quiet around the ark? You think it was nice and serene as it first began to storm? You see, I, I don't want to be real heavy or dramatic, but we've romanticized that story. And I don't want to romanticize this story because I think that if we'll really stop and think about what's happening and where it's at and, and really the whole context around this story, we'll really begin to see some amazing things about how God works. Think about this place. Think about what this passage tells us about this place. Near the sheep gate or the sheep market, in which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here a great number of the disabled people used to lie. Imagine a place where disabled people, sick people, people who were hurting and, and couldn't fend for themselves, couldn't take care of themselves, this particular man couldn't even move on his own. Imagine great numbers of people being spread out in the heat of the day, left to themselves. Imagine the misery in that place. Imagine, imagine the smells in that place. Imagine the moans, the, the, the self-pity, the depression. The, 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 I mean, because the physical ailments that these people were dealing with were just the beginning. Imagine what it was like to walk into this place that was full of sick and, and, and helpless, hopeless people. That's not just the people. See, this was called the Sheep Gate probably for a very specific reason. Because it's here that the animals would have been brought in through the gates of Jerusalem and they'd have been stored here until they were sacrificed in the temple. So not only do you have these people who are overlooked and forgotten laying around waiting for a pool to stir, you've got animals and all that comes with them in this same place. I would suggest that this is probably a place that most of us would avoid. I can't help but think about the nursing home that we used to minister in. Every Monday night, we'd walk into this place, and the smell would hit you first. I mean, as soon as you step through the door, the, the, the smell of sick people. It was almost too much. I mean, it made it very hard to even think about going. And then you step into the door and you'd hear somebody as you walk down the hall, help me, help me. I think about that place. You see, we don't 
make a habit out of getting up and going into nursing homes, do we? No, most of us don't. But I'd say this place is probably worse than any nursing home you've ever been in. And that's the place. That's where this man is lying. That's where he's, that's where he's at every day. And Jesus steps into the picture. Don't forget the context. Don't forget this. I, I think ultimately it's, it's here that we can begin to see just how big a mess that God stepped into when he put on flesh and he came into this world. I want you to strip away the illusion. I want you to imagine this place and I want you to get a, get a concept of it or get a grasp of it so you, you can begin to understand really if I just strip away the illusion and, and all the, the, the fine things of life and, and how good I can fool myself into thinking this place is, I want you to strip away the illusion and think about it from the perspective of an almighty, all-knowing, perfect and righteous and holy God. You see, most of us would avoid this place. Maybe even think we're too good to be there. God didn't look at the world like that and turn his back. You see, he stepped in. He came in to make a difference. Now, I want to point something out just real quickly. This is, this is kind of off the topic, but it, but it kind of helps us see ultimately... Um, what these people are there for, they're, they're there to, uh, to, to be healed. And, and so they're there and they're waiting for this pool to stir or to, to ripple. And then somebody, people try to get into it because they had been told that in the midst of all of that, they would find healing. And, and, and ultimately, whether or not that's true or not, I, I don't know exactly that, that people were really healed there. The, the text doesn't support that necessarily. What it does support is that that's why people were there. Now, some of you, how many of you are reading in something other than the, King, uh, other than the NIV? How many of you have a verse 4? See, I, you, you might have noticed that I just skipped verse 4. I want to give you a quick lesson real quickly, and ultimately, there's, there's nothing wrong with verse 4 being in there, but... But the reason I skipped it and the reason a lot of the, the newer translations skip it is because it's not in the earlier manuscripts. In fact, there's one commentary that I read from that says that it didn't become a real, uh, it didn't become part of the manuscripts until after 400 AD. And so as you read that, what that is is they believe that scribes went back in and helped us understand what people were there for. There was a, there was a, and there, there's this story that was going around that ultimately if you'll stay by this pool and you'll get in it when the water ripples, you'll be healed. And whether that's true or not, we don't know. But ultimately what we see is this, this terrible place full of emptiness and sickness and, and just a mess. But they're gathering in this place that they've heard there's hope. Because they want to be healed. They want to be well. And so they're going to this place that... Nobody is probably even sure or guaranteed that there's any real hope there, but they're going there and they're, and they're being filled with this false hope. Well, let me help you out and help you understand exactly what that's like. We have them happening all the time today. All kinds of, story of stories of miraculous events and stories of, 
of sightings of Jesus or or even the Virgin Mary. And and actually that picture of the Kit Kat that came up earlier is one of those. Let me bring those pictures up, Cameron. I brought some pictures to kind of help you see. This is a picture of a Kit Kat, not just your normal Kit Kat. This is a special Kit Kat. It's a Kit Kat chunky. It's the big fat one, not the little thin with four pieces. But this is even more special than it being just a Kit Kat chunky. At the very end of it, when the guy took a bite of it, the face of Jesus appeared. It's the truth. Can you see it? Look at the very end of it. Let me walk over here to it. I'll try and help you see it. Can everybody see this over here? Here's the nose, the eyes, the mouth, and the mustache. You don't see that? Really? Man, it must just be me. I thought it was a miracle. Jesus appeared in a Kit Kat. This, this is a really special one. Let me get the lady's name right. Marilyn Smith of Port St. Lucie, Florida. One morning was making pancakes. And Jesus and his mother Mary appeared in one of her pancakes. She was so astounded by this. And it became big news. And ultimately, her daughter sold it on eBay for a whopping Thirty-nine or forty-nine dollars—I can't remember which. It sold once, and the person decided they didn't want it, and then um, somebody else came back and bought it for much less money. This, oh, it's one of my favorites. Do you see Jesus? Do you know what that is? That's exactly right. It is the butt of a dog. This is Angus McDougall's bottom. Angus is a three-year-old terrier mix that someone seems to think is very special because Jesus appeared on his butt. It's become such a big deal that Angus McDougall has his own website. And here's some of the quotes from his website. It's hard to understand the meaning of this appearance, but one thing is for sure. That dog's bum looks incredibly like Jesus. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe this. It's a miracle. <laughs> the Lord really is everywhere. I came to your site with sacrilege on my mind, but having left, or I'm sorry, but left having been touched by a pet slash Jesus union. Even Holy Mary would recognize her son there on the dog's thingy. Now here's someone trying to be theological. Dog is God backwards. And God is dog's backside. Praise him, indeed. God, you get it? Dog is God backwards. We know about the Shroud of Turin. We've heard of Veronica's veil. And those who have seen his image on a tortilla. But now, who can deny he walks among us? Now, hey, go back. We're not done. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I do know. Jesus didn't appear on this dog's butt. But here's the thing. This is what it's all about. Is that it doesn't matter because there's people who think... That he did. And they're looking at this and they're gaining this false hope from a dog's butt. 
That's crazy. Here we go. Jesus on a cushion. Now you can go on. You can say button church. Okay, while the previous images, they've been a little silly, and uh, one of them in particular, this is a little more serious because it happened in a church. Here we go. Let me read you the article that this came with. Thousands of people have flocked to a Roman Catholic church on the French Indian Ocean island of Reunion. After believers said they saw the face of Christ in the pleats of a church cushion. Church officials limited access to the Jesus. I'm not even going to try and say the whole name. It's in French. Church in eastern St. Andres, Cambuston. District to a few minutes per visitor as traffic in the area ground to a halt. This gained so much notoriety and so much attention that it just caused everything to, to grind to a halt. Believers and curious onlookers pulled out cameras to take pictures of the cushion attached to the priest's chair. Can you see it? Must be a miracle. Let's go. One more. This is a picture of a weeping saint. Some of these stories, none of these stories other than this one contain anything about healing, but this one, this, one's a, this one has even been endorsed by the Russian Orthodox Church. In the Russian Orthodox Church of Our Lady, the joy of all sorrow, of all who sorrow, located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, an icon of St. Righteous Anna was found to have been weeping myrrh. This began back in November of 2004. Many miracles have been attested to this. Uh, one in particular of a man named Father Joachim. Who he, was, he had become totally incapacitated. He was always in pain. He had some spinal problems. And even after medical uh, help, he just always had the pain. He goes to this place, and while he's there, he's healed after he's anointed with the myrrh. He's able to walk again and even served divine liturgy the very next day. Now, this church has its, own, has its website, too, and even on the, on the website, they noted that since 2007, it quit doing that. But the Russian Orthodox Church sent their, their, uh, their people here from Russia. They came and investigated this, and they have endorsed this to be a real miracle. Now, here's the thing. Ultimately, I don't want to take away from people looking for God and looking for Christ. I'm glad that they're doing it. I'm, I, I, I hope that people will continue to look. But this just gives us an understanding, really, of what these people were doing. They were, they, as they gathered at this pool, it wasn't so much that they, they thought that uh, the pool or the water was what was healing them. They thought it was the work of God. In fact, in that verse that was skipped, I told you about the verse that we skipped. Go ahead and put that verse up, Cameron. In, verse, in chapter 5, verse 4, it says this. This is this came about several several hundred years later, but the thought is is that this got put into the to the later manuscripts to help later generations understand that that these people were there. For an angel went down at a certain season to the pool and troubled the water. They thought this was God at work in this place, and so they saw it as something special. They saw it as as God. But what they were what they were missing was is that they were looking to be healed and be fixed of these superficial, albeit. Serious problems, but they were looking for something out of the water. 
They were looking for their, their, their hopes were placed in the wrong, wrong thing and they, it was falsely applied. And so that's what ends up happening even today. As people look, they get, they get a little scatterbrained, they get a little silly, and, and ultimately they begin to look for help from images and from, uh, from, um, from, 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 uh, my mind is failing me. From statues and images, and, and that becomes very close, or it gets to be very close, like other people who bow to idols and burn their incense before idols and, and do these things. Ultimately, looking for power from something other than the God who has all power. And remember, last week we talked about this, is that ultimately, as Jesus demonstrated his, his power, he demonstrated that everything else, everything else leaves us wanting and empty and, 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 and no power measures up. But in his power, it's complete. It's all encompassing and there's nothing that can overcome it. And, and so I want you to see that because ultimately that's what's happening at this pool is that these people are laying there. It's a miserable sight. I think it's, I think it's a pitiful sight. It, it, it's not something that, that we would feel good about today. We would walk into this place and human rights activists would go nuts. People would, people would be filing lawsuits like crazy and saying, I can't believe you're treating other people this way. This, is, this, was, not, this was not an assisted living center. This was the worst of all nursing homes. This was the place where people were brought and left. Think about who this man was. This man says that, or it tells us that this man had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus approaches him and asks him, do you want to get well? He says, I don't have anybody to help me. You see, what this shows us is that, that this place was full of hopelessness. Now let's strip away the illusion and remember that our world is full of hopelessness. Our world has nothing that provides us a true and living hope. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much, uh, how, how, how far you can, how, how far you think you can go on your own. This world has nothing that will truly fulfill us and give us this living hope. There are plenty of things. There, there are many things that help us draw an illusion. There are many things that make us feel okay for a time. It feels good to sit down and watch a movie and not have to think about the troubles of the day. You can, at least for me, I can disappear into a movie. Why, why, why do you think drugs and alcohol are such a big thing? As people drown their sorrows and forget about their, their struggles... And get away from the world. There's all kinds of things that we can soak ourselves into and that we can immerse ourselves in. But at the end of the day, we always have to come back to the real world. And it's full of hopelessness. And if you think about this guy's hopelessness, you begin to understand his helplessness as well. He had no one to help him. As I think about this passage, and as I thought about this, I could, I could think of two options for this guy. Either he really had no one, and he was at this place all day long, day in, day out, and he stayed here all the time. Or he had people who would help him there, but didn't care enough to stay with him to help him get into the water to find healing. You see, this guy really felt all alone. 
And you begin to hear his despair. And you begin to hear his emptiness and his loneliness. Pull away this pull pull away the illusion. Scrape it away. It's easy to put on a front. It's easy to put on our Sunday go to church clothes. It's easy to put on a smile. But the reality is is that we all come here knowing that there's things in our life that we feel hopeless about and that we feel helpless about. Strip away the illusion. We're really not much different than this guy. And as he's laying there, I want you to think. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine what it was like to be in that place on that day. Surrounded by despair and misery. I want you to imagine what it was like to be that man. To be without hope, to be without help. Think of your situations. Think about the the circumstances of your life. Strip away the illusion. The worries and the concerns you have. The the struggles that you face. the, The difficulties. I want you to imagine being there by that pool. And whether it's your work or whether it's your... Your, your 401k plan or, or whether it's your relationships or, or the material things that you have, I want you to realize that, that that pool represents all of those things that you might find security in, that you might find hope in, that you might find help in. You see, they can only satisfy for just a little while. But then I want you to imagine what it's like when Jesus walks right up to you and says, do you want to get well? Do you want the hope and the help that I can give? Now, as I first read that question and thought about it, I thought, well, that's a lot like those, those uh, here's your sign jokes. You know, a guy that's been sick for 38 years. Do you want to get well? Here, let me, let me share some of those. Maybe you hadn't heard them. Last time I had a flat tire, I pulled off, <clears throat> pulled off my truck and went into tire store to get it fixed guy says you got a flat nope driving down the road and the other three just swelled up here's your sign yeah this is one this is my favorite one let me let me just i'm at the airport lost my luggage so i go to the lost luggage department i go up to the girl and say excuse me you lost my luggage she said is your plane landed yet nope just having an out-of-body experience i just wanted to check on it Here's your sign. But as I thought about it further, I realized that Jesus wouldn't ask a question for no purpose and no reason. And it wasn't a stupid question. You see, he wasn't trying to rub this guy's misery in his face. This, this, this question was immensely important to this man. Do you want to get well? In that man's answer, you understand that his illusion had been stripped away some time ago. For 38 years he's been paralyzed. And for who knows how long he's been laying out beside this pool, left alone, overlooked, no one's concerned about him. He is empty and at his wit's end he has no hope. Do 
you want to get well? I don't have anybody to help me. When the water stirs, somebody gets down there sooner than I do. I don't, I don't have any way. You see that he understands that there is no hope. He, he understands that, that if something doesn't come and, and, and meet him where he's at, he's there the rest of his life. He had no idea who it was who was asking that question. But what's really cool is it was the God who brings all hope, who brings all help, and so much more. Do you want to get well? I don't have any way. Get up. Take your mat and walk. And he gets up and he walks. And I don't know what happened in his body that made him believe that his legs would hold him. But do you see the trust? Do you see the immediate belief in what Jesus said? Do you see that, that, there, was no, that there was nothing that held him back? He stood up and he walked. Do you want to get well? Let's strip away your illusion. I don't know what sins that are that you deal with. I don't know what struggles it are it is that you deal with completely. I know some of the things that you're dealing with in here, but I can tell you, and I know with assurance, that Jesus is the Jesus that brings you hope and help in the midst of these circumstances. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to, do you want to find hope and joy in the midst of this circumstance? Get up and walk. You see, on the, on, on the one hand, the, the very first uh, 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 step of this question is all about salvation. It's, it's all about, do you want to, to have life? Do you want to be made alive? And, and, and for non-believers, this is the place that it meets them first and foremost. Because without it, without it, no matter how extravagant their life may look, no matter how full they can fill their life with things of this world, it's going to leave them wanting. They, 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 they've got to start here. But for believers, but for believers, how many of us would, would, would be so arrogant to say that we've got it all figured out? I no longer struggle. I no longer have problems. I'm no longer looking to the pools of Bethesda in my life for an empty hope. I would be, I'd be willing to say that if you'll stop and think about it long enough, if you'll strip away the illusion, each one of us will realize that we have pools of Bethesda and we have struggles and we have trials and we have sin that needs to be dealt with. Do you want to get well? Hear him saying it. Hear, hear his words, get up and walk. I want you to think about this because in this we begin to understand that when Jesus called this man to do this, he didn't just call him to do something that was totally impossible for him to do, but he called him to do something that was totally impossible for him to do and he empowered him to do it. You see, he didn't say get up and walk and expect him to do it on his own, did he? He said get up and walk and Jesus made his legs well and gave him power to do it. Ron, how long, how long have you been out of, out of commission? This just came to me. 
What did the doctor tell you the other day? You need more therapy because your muscles have atrophy. See, Ron had an accident at work not long ago. I'm sorry to pick on you like this, but Ron had an accident at work a while back. Pulled, a, Actually detached a hamstring from his, wherever it connects to, up there. Detached it completely. Had surgery and has been out of commission for some time. He went to physical therapy the other day and found out that, that the leg he hurt is only 35% as strong as the other. This guy had been laying on the ground for 38 years. 38 years. He couldn't have carried himself if he wasn't made able to carry himself. He wouldn't have been able to hold himself up. How, how in the world does a person stand up who's not stood up for, for 38 years and know, what, know how to balance? And take a step and walk and not fall? You see, the miracle wasn't just that Jesus said, get up and walk. Jesus made it possible for the man to get up and walk. You see? And here's the reality. Is that in every one of our life's situations that we need to be fixed in, He's saying, get up and walk. He didn't save us to leave us in these, in these struggles and these temptations and in these problems just so that we would waller in them and be frustrated by them and hate them and begin to begin to doubt him he's given us the power he's given us the ability to overcome some of it doesn't happen for a period of time sometimes it takes a little while to get to it sometimes we even have to realize it's an issue in our life there's plenty of sins in your life that you have no idea about you know when i first came to this uh, or, or first began to to, to realize the sin in my life, I realized the, the, the superficial sins. I drank way too much. I was a womanizer. I was, I was a mess. Now, as God kind of took care of those, all these other things began to, to show up. Prideful. Selfish. Controlling. Uh, oh, man, I don't want to embarrass myself too bad. But the reality is, is that all of these things begin to show up. And just as you realize that, hey, I've got this all together... The reality is you don't have it all together. But Jesus says, get up and walk. He's given you the power to do it. He's given you an ability to do it. We can do all things through Him who strengthens us. Do you want to get well? It's an extremely relevant question even today. Whether you're a non-believer or a believer, you can be well because of what He's done. He says, get up and walk. You can because He did. You see, you can be a, a, a victorious Christian. You can live a life that demonstrates your faith. And you, can, you have power to, to overcome sin. And, and you have, <clears throat> you have um, uh, uh, the, the opportunity to experience joy in the midst of trying circumstances. You can have hope no matter what the forecast looks like. But not because you found it in some pool of Bethesda. And not because you can look inside and find all the answers. You can because He did. You can find those things and you can know those things because God came into the world. God paid a price for you. God's given you salvation. And God empowers you to live the life He's called you to live. It's so easy to, to just deal with our sin and say, I know it's wrong. 
or to, 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 to deal with the situations of life and I just don't feel like I can do it anymore. It's so easy to give up hope. But you don't have to. Because this is the God that saved you. The God who knelt before this man who squatted before him and said, do you want to get well? Get up and walk. Do you want to get well? You can live in God's will. You can follow His commands. You can be obedient. All of these things you've been called to. Because not only did He give you salvation, but He gave you the power to be the person. And He's continually giving you the power to be the person that He's called you to be. His purpose for you and for me and for all who are called according to His purpose. He loves us unconditionally. He, he, he works in all circumstances for our good. And, and in that same passage in Romans, it talks about that His purpose for all who are in Christ is to be conformed into the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's giving you the power. He's giving you the ability to do that. I can remember riding bikes with Tristan, and there was this one hill. I don't know what it was about this hill. It, was, it wasn't a real big hill, but it was this one particular hill that he just couldn't seem to get past. And so he'd just begun riding bikes. He hadn't been riding for very long. He couldn't get up this hill. And every time he came to this hill, all of us would go up it, and Tristan would get partway up, and he'd just stop. And I could tell, I could see in him that he was giving up. I could see in him that he'd come to this place and it was, it was never beyond a certain point. He'd always come to just about the same place where he really had to begin to try. He would just stop. Oh, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. But I could see in him and, and in the things that he would do in other circumstances, he had the strength. He had the ability. But he didn't know it. See, that's so much like our Christian life. The reality is, is that power is not in us. But He's given that power into us. And so, as we approach those areas of life, we need to approach them with the understanding that God empowers us. God enables us to say no to sin. God enables us to find hope in, in difficult times. God enables us to know joy and peace God has helped us. Let me just say this one last thing and then we'll close. I had this conversation just this week. Really, it focused around the benefits of salvation. Well, what good is it to be saved? You know, so often we approach life and we approach the Christian life is that the only benefits out in, in, the, in the far distant future. And in fact, as I had this conversation, I referred to it as a retirement account. How many of us save for retirement? How many of us plan for the future? In every area of life we do that. We don't see anything wrong with it. And so in a lot of ways, that's, that's how we approach our salvation. It's this retirement plan. But let me tell you, your salvation is so much more than your retirement plan. Your salvation has beneficial uh, or has benefits even now. Do you still struggle? Absolutely. 
Are there circumstances that you don't understand? Absolutely. Are, are, are there sins that you still struggle with? Absolutely. But I want you to know that Jesus has stepped into the middle of your life not to give you a retirement account, but to ask you if you want to be well. Not just then, but now. And he says, get up and walk. Not on your own, because you don't have the power. But in the power that I'm giving you. Get up and walk. Let's pray. Well, Father, you know intimately the issues that sit in this very room. And I'm sure, Father, that if we pull back the, the layers of each person's life, we would begin to see the mess of humanity. The mess that you came into. The mess that you're redeeming. So I just pray right now. I, I pray, God, that, that in my ignorance of all the situations in this room, in spite of my ignorance, that you through your Holy Spirit would just shine brightly. That you would help each person in here understand that there you are right before them. Empowering them. Giving them hope and help. Helping them to get up and walk. To live this life that we've been called to live. Father, I, I pray that you'll show each of us these areas in our life. I thank you for what you've done through your Son. What you're doing by your Holy Spirit. And I thank you that we know you're coming back. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.